like Hong Kong. That's a place for you. You are listening to the Hong Kong Football Podcast, and you join us at the end of quite a disappointing week for the Hong Kong national team. A disappointing result against North Korea. We're going to be talking about all of that, plus everything else that happened in the EAFF tournament over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the women's football, the men's football, um, and all of the local football news. My name, as always, is James Legg, and I'm joined on the line by Tobias Dusser. Toby, how's it going? I'm great, thank you. I already identified some Hong Kong restaurants here in Sydney, so um, yeah, I, I can survive. <laughs> And how how is the weather in in Sydney? Oh, it's great. It's lovely. It's uh, 25 degrees, dry, very beautiful. Sounds very nice. Now, Toby, let's just get straight into it. It's a poor performance from Hong Kong the other day against North Korea. It was only 1-0, only only lost 1-0, although the game didn't quite feel that close. Um, The goal came in the 22nd minute by Jong Il Guan. A certain amount of disappointment after this result. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, I didn't watch the game um, because I was in another stadium in Melbourne. But could you tell a little bit about uh, your feeling of the game and what were the highlights for you? Well, I think the first thing to mention is how Hong Kong set up. Kim Pangon sent them out with... To be honest, I don't know what formation he sent them out with, but it looked a little bit like three at the back with wing backs on either side of that. So you had Jack Seeley who started at right back despite Lo Kuan Yi playing very well in the last game and Seeley not having much game time for his club over the past nine months or so. And then you had Roberto Afonso apparently on the left in this kind of defensive midfield role. And it was just kind of hard to tell exactly what was supposed to be going on in that gap between defence and the attack. You would expect you would have expected to see a lot more from Roberto Afonso going forward if he was playing as a left back, but he didn't really do that. In in the midfield, uh, Huang Yang started as you'd expect. He's one of the the mainstays of the Hong Kong team. Alongside him was Leung Chen Pong, um, who had quite a quiet game, but I don't think that was really the issue. And then we just had this, I think, quite isolated attack. Um, Alex Akande, who had scored four goals in his last game, all of a sudden just looked very muted. He could barely get on the ball. Certainly not get on the ball in a good position. And the wings were just providing nothing. Um, I thought the most controversial call was to play Chan Su Ki on the right side of midfield as a kind of right side of forward where you would normally expect James McKee or maybe Jude de Chouy to play. Um, I mean, I, in my opinion, it should definitely be Jude de Chouy, but he wasn't even in the squad, so we assume he might have been injured. And on the left, you had Godfrey Karikari, um, who, in fairness, had actually played really well in the last two games of the tournament, but who just reverted to all of his worst habits in this game. He made bad decisions, he kept the ball more than he really should have when he should have been releasing it. And when he was looking for people to pass the ball to, he was just, well, when I say when he was looking for people, when he hoped to find someone to pass to, he barely looked up. Um, This is a problem of his, it's just something about kind of the way he plays, Um, his kind of spatial awareness is pretty poor and just ended up going backwards and forwards trying to get past defenders without ever looking up to find an option which is a shame because he'd done so well in the last game um, and the game before that he played a lovely cross for a Sandro goal and yeah it was just a disjointed performance So how did the goal build up um, that Hong Kong conceded in the 22nd minute? Yeah it all came about from a pretty innocuous situation Um, Jack Seeley is is trying to play the ball up the right and was very he was very quickly intercepted. Um, that was the theme of the game. 
to be honest, Hong Kong being physically second best in pretty much every way to North Korea. And North Korea with a couple of passes very quickly break to the point where Jong can just slot it in from, from a one-on-one situation with Yapong Fai. It has to be mentioned actually that there was quite an obvious foul by Sealy just after he lost the ball. Um, the the left side of player for North Korea just completely cut him off. It was it was like a if he was playing in the NFL, it would have been a great block. I mean if he was like a wide receiver, um, but it was it was pretty poor. I mean, I was surprised that the, the, the ref didn't didn't spot it. But I don't think that was the issue. I mean, we could complain about this foul, but there was so much more to complain about than even if that goal hadn't gone in, another would have, and Hong Kong just didn't seem to have anything either way. So yeah, I mean, it came as a as a result of a lack of communication at the back, but also, and this was an overarching theme of the game, Hong Kong just not being a physical match for North Korea. Yeah, I very much agree with what you said, and what has been irritating me now for, for quite a while is the decisions made by Kim in fielding certain players and certain positions. I think the biggest surprise in this game was really to use Roberto Afonso on the left. It's something that we haven't seen at all in, in the tournament. I, and I cannot even remember a game before that it happened. And you still have like two options on the bench, or actually three options who could play left backs on the bench. That was Fung Paklun from Pegasus. It would have been Chenking Ho, who is sometimes in this position in the national team, although he is not a learned left back. And you had Li Hong Lim, who played a terrific game against Chinese Taipei. So I was really surprised. But that said, I think it has become a pattern in this national team that there are always these surprises, which I cannot really wrap my head around. Because you go into the most important game of the tournament, probably the most important game in this year, because there are no other real competitive games that are scheduled. And you try out things that, that you never tried out before, putting people in positions that they never really played before. And then at the end, also not owning up to this. I talked with you about this the other day, I know. But what I've been a bit disappointed about is that when it comes to the evaluation, the post-match analysis of the game, what is always pointed out is that, okay, the defense made a silly mistake and this is why we lost. But I don't think that it's that easy anymore. I mean, there are a lot of decisions that I believe lead to this kind of situations on, on the tactical side, on the general playing philosophy, on what kind of tasks the players are given on the pitch. And I think that it has turned a little bit into chaos because it's already quite strange for a fan. If you have followed a national team for quite a while, you have a sense of who are the good players, but then you are still very much surprised by decisions like this. Already the fact that there are so many players rotating in the starting 11, that there is right now no real top starting 11 that Hong Kong would always play with, but you always have like four or five players that are constantly changing. And I'm not sure if this is really helpful if you want to build up a competitive and strong team. So yeah, the more, you know, (laughs) this goes on, I really feel it might be more of a coaching problem than a team problem. Because as Alex Akande already said after the Chinese Taipei game, and I think rightfully said so, that Hong Kong has the best team Ever. I mean, ever, of course, it's it's very relative, but I think it really has right now the best team probably in, in the last five years in terms of player quality. And I, I think that we could expect a little bit more, but I also feel that it, it's a lack of leadership or instructions what the players should do. 
Um, I know that you know I'm I'm overly critical about about this. Uh, how how do you feel about um, Coach Kim Bangon? Should there be any talk about this after this kind of tournament? I eighty percent agree. I I think on on this particular game, I I one hundred percent agree. I think it was definitely no time for experimental tactics and putting players in places where they've never well where I've never seen them play before. I mean, I just think we knew from the outset that Chan Su Ki was not going to do a job as a right-sided midfielder. He only ever seems to play as a number 10. And he doesn't get up and down the pitch, does he? I mean, he's very much based in that end of the pitch. And, and from a winger, you need a lot more than that. And I think it was unlikely that he was ever going to put in a good performance. Um, I think the same is true as Roberto Afonso. On, uh, on the left and I don't really understand this loyalty to Jack Seeley Seeley hasn't played for his club since he moved nine months ago uh, maybe a little bit longer and his performances from Hong Kong have looked noticeably worse since then I think while he was in South China then it was fair inclusion but now I don't see how he gets in ahead of Chen King Ho and Lo Kuan Yi I, I genuinely just don't see how that how anyone could come to that decision I have to come to Kim's defence a little bit on in general, which is that, you know, you can't argue with the record of the World Cup qualifiers. Hong Kong won every game, apart from the games against the two big teams in the group, two losses to Qatar and two very hard-fought draws against China. And I think that was massive progress. However, I, I, do, I do sort of see your point in that the, the games against China were very, very defensive displays um, which one of which especially um, some might say both of which included a lot of luck um, like a goal that should have been given for China which wasn't given but do we not have to accept the limitations a little bit I mean Hong Kong unless something drastically changes will always be somewhere in the middle of Asian football I mean they've kind of proved over the past couple of years that yeah they can quite easily deal with well not so easily all the time but they can mostly deal with teams like the Maldives and the Qams and the Taiwans are you saying that they ought to be moving further ahead and competing against the likes of North Korea um, and possibly even China on a more regular basis yeah I, you know of course I, I don't want to be you now too too pessimistic but I do feel like even already in the AFC Cup that Hong Kong has been falling behind a little bit in the last few years especially in the Southeast Asian region the Malaysian teams the uh, Indian teams of course we already like for quite a long time behind Thailand and Vietnam and I think it becomes problematic if we, you know, see Hong Kong as a team that, okay, that can take on Guam, can take on Chinese Taipei and maybe dominate them. But it, it, that's nice to have, you know, once a year or once every two years. But on a long term, I think that given the historical legacy of football in Hong Kong and given that it, it is the most popular spectator sport you know like in Taiwan they can still say okay you know we don't really care because we have baseball we don't really care because we have basketball what we really care about but for Hong Kong it's really basically all about football except you know horse racing is there but let's leave that aside I, I think just it's for Hong Kong there should be some kind of you know long-term view on developing the sport that has been so important in its history and yeah so this is probably why my my expectations are maybe a little bit off but I really think that they could do better. And as you said, I mean, they, the World Cup qualifiers were really good. It was a great result. And I think that is also what um, helped Kim to also really justify his position as a head coach. But again, what 
what I already felt can be a bit dangerous in the World Cup qualifiers is that it distorts the picture a little bit because you had all this enthusiasm and you had this feeling that, okay, now people believe that Hong Kong has a real good team and can take on bigger nations, can take on China. But again, like at the end of the day, I think that the truth is not quite there yet because even the away games in Bhutan and Maldives were not quite convincing. One of the reasons why Hong Kong had such a good run in the worker qualifiers was the fixture setting as well, starting with Bhutan and then immediately Maldives, giving them two solid wins at the beginning, that, that boosted the start enormously. But I think throughout the tournament, aside from the really almost historic draws against China, it was not uh, excellent football what they played, or like a, a way of football where you see, you see a progress. And this is what I think I want to point out, that over the last two or three years, I'm missing the progress. Even though now half of the team has changed, I think it's not developing in any direction that I could somehow understand or perceive. It just feels very random often. But yeah, maybe, you know, let's, let's talk about maybe more positive sides. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did, they did get a win um, since we last spoke on the podcast. They, they played against Taiwan on Wednesday, which was the second game. It was their second win. And they, they won 4-2. All four of Hong Kong's goals coming from Alex Akande, um, which is extremely impressive from him. But one of the issues, and, and I think this is something that you'll probably take up to carry on your anti-Kim tirade, which is that Hong Kong gave up cheap goals. Taiwan, after Hong Kong were 2-0 up, um, got back into it with a, a, a goal from their star man Chen Poliang and it was just a, a, another goal conceded from a, a set play or a ball into the box which wasn't, deal, wasn't dealt with um, again disappointing for a team supposedly based on defensive solidity and then in fairness um, Taiwan's second goal through um, Chen Chao An uh, was a fine goal not really much you could do about it but the issue is that against both Guam and Taiwan, despite dominant performances, Hong Kong conceded two goals in both games. And what that meant, and this may have had a bearing on the North Korea game, was that Hong Kong had to win against North Korea because of goal difference. I don't know if that affected how they set up or how they approached the game or how North Korea were able to sit a little bit more. Like they were certainly less attacking and they were less willing to take the game to their opponents than they had been against Taiwan and against Guam. So part of this, and, and, and the reason that this winds me up is that I just think these were easy goals to not give away. They were often down to concentration and organisation, which I just wonder where those qualities have gone since about a year ago when Hong Kong seemed to have them in abundance, especially in defence. And that's, again, uh, uh, to, join, <laughs> to join your tirade, that, that again comes down to the coach. But... On the whole, played three, won two, lost one. As we mentioned, the, the champions um, were North Korea. They've won all of their games. They didn't concede any goals. And they were certainly the best team in the tournament. One sour note, uh, I, I thought a real sour note, was the behaviour of the Hong Kong fans towards the end of the North Korea game. I don't know if you saw any of this. Broadly speaking, there were two kind of separate strains of this. Um, as you know, Hong Kong fans are always hostile some might say far too hostile to away teams. Uh, whether that's whether it's in the AFC Cup when South China or Kichi are playing, or whether that's for the Hong Kong team. And quite predictably, uh, the North Korean team got booed a lot. 
Um, not really for doing anything in particular, just for walking onto the pitch or for having the ball or for coming close to the fans. And this this negativity just built up and built up as the game went on, as it became more and more apparent that Hong Kong weren't going to go through to the next round of this tournament. And it, it has to be mentioned, you know, North Korea did play for time a little bit at the end. Um, certain injuries, which didn't look like much, were being dragged out. Lots of pain-killing spray from the physio, who probably didn't really need to be on the pitch at all. But let's face it, that's part and part of for, for football that happens now. Um, let's not pretend that the Hong Kong team don't do it as well. And then towards the end, I think it was North Korea's number 11, um, although I'm happy to be corrected on that, was over on the on the touchline, having been dealt with by the, the, the club doctor or the team doctor. And he had to be on the sidelines right next to the Hong Kong fans. And a group of Hong Kong fans, say 8 to 15 of them, ran over, like kind of left the stand, ran right over to the advertising hoardings and just hailed abuse at him from about two feet away in just this unbelievably intimidating way, um, which I think was unbelievably poor form. At the end of the day, these, <laughs> I, hate, I, I always end up moralising on this podcast, but I hate to hate to go on about it but these guys are people you know they are you know they're just guys with wives and kids and families and lives to be getting on with and i don't really understand how you can legitimize a large group of people in an organized way running over to these people getting really close like close enough that he could easily throw something or probably even hit them and just hailing vitriol at these people they've never met before whose only crime is to have played for a team that wasn't Hong Kong. I mean, it looks awful. I mean, there were, there were photos um, I saw online. I don't know if they made it into the news, but just such a bad light to portray Hong Kong football in and just such an appalling and quite frankly, cowardly way to behave. And that really, that really, as, as you can perhaps tell, that kind of wound me up. And then the second strain of this was that when, no, at the end of the tournament, at, you know, about half an hour after this game had finished, maybe not half an hour, maybe more like 15 minutes, the North Korea team were being awarded their, their, their trophy for, for winning the tournament. They were by far the best team in the tournament. They played really well, conceded no goals, really good to watch. There's no question that they were the best team. But the Hong Kong fans stuck around in great numbers just to boo the entire ceremony um, while this was happening. I mean, I, I, I can't even think of a similar situation in which I've seen this. You know, teams win trophies at other people's stadiums all the time. And it's not very often at all that you hear of the home fans sticking around with the sole intention of booing the team that's just won fair and square the tournament. And it's just, I, I think this is a problem with the fact that Hong Kong football fans have become so divorced from football, by and large, it seems. And, you know... I, as you know, I've been to pretty much every Hong Kong football match in Hong Kong for the last over the last couple of years, and increasingly there is just this tide of anger, which, as I say, is completely disconnected from football. It's it's purely to do with raging against a variety of injustices, many of them real, um, some of them imagined. As we know, it's often to do with the political situation in Hong Kong, which is <laughs> isn't really something we need to discuss on a Hong Kong football podcast, but. This is, a, this is a real trend and this is a real thing which is going to affect Hong Kong football over time. And also during the North Korea game, I saw a bottle thrown at the pitch, um, a carton actually made it onto the pitch. Um, these are the kind of things which actually come back to bite the team in the behind eventually when FIFA or the AFC 
fans the country um, like they already have because the fans boo the Chinese national anthem and this is really something as we as we discuss all the time Hong Kong football is still in a stage of development if the FA is being fined or the team is being punished like it could always come down to dock points or it could down, come down to playing games behind closed doors. If that kind of behavior carries on, it's just going to be one more obstacle for Hong Kong football. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think you know that the irony here in the game against North Korea is that probably this North Korean player, right, they grow up in an environment where they are constantly told about the hostile West. And then they, play, they come in country playing outside and then they experience this, you know, firsthand. So it's it's ironic, indeed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, oh, we've got this terrible dictator, but we need him because the rest of the world wants to destroy us. They told us that. And then they come, like, as you say, they, they get this get this trip to Hong Kong. I assume these guys don't get that many trips um, abroad. And they are treated like pariahs and they're, they're booed for doing nothing. Yeah, it, it, as an ironic aside, it, it just kind of legitimizes this idea that the rest of the world is out to get North Korea. Yeah, it's, it's just really disappointing. As a football fan, I just cannot understand why people would stick around with, to boo a team which has been so good. I mean, North Korea were brilliant to watch. Um, they played really well, especially in the first game against Taiwan. And it just disappoints me that alleged football fans would have such disrespect for a really good football team. It just seems like, well, what's the... If, if when someone plays well, you're going to hate them, then what's the... What are you even here for? What, what do you expect to get from football other than this release for your anger? Although, of course, they wouldn't be the first football fans to use the sport as a release for their anger. But whenever fans tend to do that, it doesn't lead anywhere particularly positive. Probably this, this warrants their own podcast at some point, you know. So... How about we are moving on to something on the pitch? <laughs> and I think to round things up, um, maybe we can quickly talk about uh, the other game on last Saturday between Guam and Taipei. And you were there, James, weren't you? Yeah, it was. It was an interesting game. Um, it felt very much like the last game for these teams. Of course, they had both lost both of their preceding games and it didn't look like they had too much to play for it also looked like they were a little fatigued from three games in a week which is perfectly understandable but it was an interesting game Guam as always just went at it completely they they really do have only one mode of playing and that is attack which I just think is great to watch um, and it's exactly what you want as a neutral they <laughs> things kind of went badly for them though because they have this kind of midfield engine room of the captain Jason Cunliffe and uh, Justin Lee and Things went pretty badly for that midfield engine room from the 18th minute when Justin Lee went in pretty heavy um, on one of the Taiwan players. And it's hard to explain exactly what happened, but he ended up basically kicking him in the face really badly. It, it looked like a challenge that had just got completely awry or you never know, there could have been some kind of angry lash out in there as well. But there's no question he kicked the, tai the Taiwan player in the face. So he was sent off in the 18th minute, which was a bad start. And then in the 38th minute, Jason Cunliffe um, had to go off. Um, and that's definitely the two two of their more experienced players, um, including their captain, and two of the players who always make themselves available for the ball and always take responsibility for the game. Um, so they lost their shape a little bit um, and they lost their, two of their most important players in the first half. 
But they just kept going and they really had a lot of pressure on Taiwan and they really had a lot of the ball. But through Wu Chunqing and Lin Chie Sun, um, who was one of the players who I flagged before the tournament as someone to look out for, they both scored goals, one in the first half, one in the second. And it was a good result for Taiwan. Um, although I think that was just a case of a certain amount of quality just shining through a little bit on the players for, for Taiwan as opposed to the Guam players. But... I thought on the whole Guam were deserved more than zero points. Um, I thought they, they really brought something to the tournament. As I say, they play with a lot of spirit. They play with a lot of balls and a lot of attacking vigour. Um, as Hong Kong learned, they conceded, conceded two against Guam. And yeah, so, so it, was, it, it was a fair result. But as I say, Guam overall deserved a little bit more than that. <laughs> Hong Kong Football Podcast is out every Wednesday. You can get it from iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Okay, well that was everything for the men's tournament in the EAFF trophy. But there was also a women's tournament. South Korea won that quite convincingly. Three games played, three games won, 36 goals scored, zero conceded. I don't think anyone can have any complaints about the eventual winner in that tournament. Toby, did you know I went to my first ever attended women's football game, which was Hong Kong's final game against Guam. The Hong Kong ladies won 1-0 after, I thought, quite a good performance, um, although a quite wasteful performance against a Guam team who, as you might expect from such a small place, were not great, but did make it tough for, for Hong Kong. So what did you think about the quality of the... Hong Kong women's team in general. Um, there, yeah, there was one player um, who I thought particularly stood out. That was the goal scorer, number 17, Chen Waiki, um, who I believe has had some kind of trials overseas. Yes, in Japan last year, I believe. Yeah, and I know that she kind of tears it up on a regular basis in the Hong Kong Women's League. I thought she was really good. A little, maybe, uh, you know, it's kind of when you're watching a player who seems so much a cut above the rest that she almost struggles to get involved. But... Yes, she scored the goal, um, and that was the difference between the two teams. Just, like I say, this was... I'm not a regular viewer of women's football, and this was... I know it's a cliche, I know it's a cliche, but so many aspects of watching it were just so much more enjoyable than when you're watching, like, your regular men's football. It was so, so much less time wasted just dicking around, pretending that you've been hurt. So much less time wasted arguing with the referee about decisions that they can't change their minds on. So much less time wasted with physios coming onto the pitch because someone's faking an injury. And it was really interesting to watch. And this isn't to say for a moment that it was some kind of nice non-physical game. It was really physical. I saw one player definitely took an elbow to the face. Um, a Guam player. A Hong Kong player took a shoulder to the face. But in both cases, they just wiped their faces to check for the blood. And, and carried on with it. It was kind of amazing, really. I, I know there's a bunch of reasons why professional men's footballers feel the need to do all of this, and it's to do with expectations from their coaches and from their teams. Um, it would be naive to suggest that people can just stop diving because it's become this, this such a big part of the game. But it was amazing to watch these players who are playing at an international level, you know, admittedly not the highest international level, but who can have this game without all of that stupidity. It was really just so much more enjoyable to watch in that aspect. And it just made me think, well, why why am I having my time wasted on a regular basis? Why am I having the game 
that we all supposedly like and want to enjoy ruined regularly by the behaviour of the players. That was one enjoyable aspect of watching the game, as well as watching Hong Kong win, as well as watching quite an impressive turnout. I mean, the game was at 11.30 on a Monday in Causeway Bay, or Happy Valley. Not really that convenient for anyone, really. And there was still, I, I, I don't know what the official figure was, but if I was to estimate, I would have said there were about 300 people watching in good voice. Yeah, and, and like I say, there was there was singing, there was chanting, there was clapping. Um, it, was, it was a good atmosphere, um, which I wasn't expecting. And no one threw anything onto the pitch which was also enjoyable. But also on the subject of women's football in Hong Kong, uh, Eastern coach, Chan Yun Ting, she has been nominated for a, an award, I believe. Did you hear about this? Yes, I did. I think it is an AFC award for the best women's coach of the year. Is it that? Yeah. Um, so there's the, the annual awards and there's a coach of the year award and there's a women's coach of the year award. And she is one of the nominees. You would think i don't know much about the other two nominees i have to admit but you would think given the achievement of being the first female coach to win the league with a men's team that she would be in with a good shout yeah absolutely i i believe she would have a good chance to win it but i think one of her competitors is a, a professional women's coach in japan maybe once you get your way and kim bang on is um sacked from the Hong Kong team, maybe she'll be in the frame to manage the national team. Wow, yeah, just imagine. And then she gets another Guinness world record. <laughs> Basically all she's going to do, just go around collecting world records. Yeah. <laughs> right. First women beating North Korea in a men's tournament. First women beating Guam in a world tournament. So yeah, cool. <laughs> I see a future for Hong Kong football. Yeah, if she can beat North Korea, then she's definitely got my vote. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, and I think if you are interested in watching more women's football in Hong Kong, the Women's League just started. Um, so it will take place, I believe, every Saturday night, usually around Causeway Bay and Ching Yi or Tuen Mun. They're often like back-to-back -back games, so two games in a row. And yeah, I think if you're around the area, just go and check it out. Citizen is the most prominent team and strongest team. So people like Cheng Wai Ki will play for Citizen. And they have dominated the league for quite a while. And yeah, I think they will be happy for anyone who is showing up and supports the local women's league. Yeah, go and renew your faith in the behavior of football players. Okay, well, next up, we're going to talk about the Hong Kong Premier League, which returns this weekend. And we're going to talk about it after this. Okay, so there was a result in the Hong Kong Premier League last night in the postponed game between Hong Kong Pegasus and Taipo. One all draw. Uh, Lucas Silva putting Taipo ahead in the 39th minute. And Travis Major scoring in the 75th for Pegasus. That was the his first goal of the season. A player who I thought would look quite good hitherto. So interesting to see him getting on the score sheet. And that was the first game for Pegasus's new coach, right? Kevin Bond, who's just come back from the UK. Not a bad result, considering. Um, Taipo have looked quite good this season. Pegasus maintain their position in the top half of the table. Yeah, I think it keeps things quite close in the middle of the table right now. You have like 
four or five teams who are sharing like eight, nine points. And to an extent that even includes South China who are on 11 points in third, although they might consider themselves in the title race rather than in the middle of the table. More games to come this weekend. 8pm, the first game on Friday. As you may have guessed, it's at the Hong Kong Football Club. HKFC take on Eastern. Eastern straight off the back of a 6-2 win against BC Glory Sky. And HKFC coming off the back of a couple of very heavy defeats to Southern. Is this going to be a route, Toby? Yeah, I think Eastern are definitely the clear favourites for this game. What is interesting though is that I've seen a few tweets the last couple of days that HKFC have hired a football analyst who is recording the games and then um, yeah, trying to identify weaknesses. So it will be interesting to see if they change some of the tactics or take another approach to some of the games. Well, hopefully, for their sake, the footballing analyst has some ideas about how to deal with Manuel Blader, who scored four last time out in that 6-2 win. Um, he's the top scorer in the league this season. And speaking of strikers, HKFC will have to play without their main goal threat, their top scorer this season, Michael Hampshire, who, having been sent off last time out in the league, is going to be saving a one-match suspension. And um, that's a big loss for them. I mean, he's certainly their biggest goal threat, and he's one of the few outballs they have when they're trying to relieve the pressure that they tend to be under when they're playing in the Premier League. The next day, Yoon Long will be playing at home to BC Glory Sky. Uh, that's the 2.30 kickoff at the Yoon Long Stadium. BC Glory Sky, obviously, as we just mentioned, off the back of the quite a hammering against Eastern, although they did manage to score two goals, lest we forget. Are they going to come a cropper against Yoon Long as well? I mean, Yoon Long had quite a few good performances at home. And Butchon Glory are still third from bottom. And I mean, it will be interesting to see if they found another goalkeeper. Because last time they only played with... Aoyang Chun Yin, who is like 19 years old and got a heavy beating from Eastern. And he had no substitute goalkeeper in their squad. So I hope they sorted it out for this week. Yeah, or else there could be a very entertaining situation in which a BC Glory Sky outfield player has to play in goal. Um, which is always fun to see. Yeah, who, who would you like to see most? If I was going to choose a player. Clearly you would say Everton Camargo, no? Just because of the name. Yeah, but his name's so good that he needs to stay up front. He can't be wasted in goal. Maybe maybe uh, Diaz Munoz, is he still there? Yeah, yeah, I think he's still there. Yeah, sure. He hasn't gone missing, has he? Yeah, unless he does a runner before now. Between now and then, then um, maybe he should go in goal. In the unfortunate and we hope doesn't happen <laughs> event of... The goalie happened to go off the pitch. Later that day, at half past five, at the Ching Yi Sports Ground, Hong Kong's most scenic sports ground, uh, Rangers will be taking on Taipo in a, a, a game that I believe is going to be on the telly, um, or at least streamed live on via the usual channels. Will the hordes of viewers, who I'm sure <laughs> this game will attract, have an enjoyable game to watch? Come on, Toby, you're the Taipo man. Yeah, I think that... Taipo had a good um, run in the last few games. Uh, let's not forget they beat South China in the Senior Shield. And now they just keep a very uh, close race in the mid-table. Um, you see Rangers are 6th right now, Taipo are 7th, but both have 8 points. So a win for either of them could put them up front. And it, at the end of the year, we, we shouldn't forget that the 3rd and the 4th base in the table can be very crucial when it comes to the AFC Cup 
playoffs. And yeah, it, such a game could decide who is in a better position then. And I would see probably Typo a little bit in advantage given the last few games they had. I think also that the away game to Pegasus was a decent result. Even if you look at the statistics, I think what's quite interesting is that Pegasus was dominating the game quite clearly in terms of possession, in terms of shots. But Typo got the lead and then just had a very smart tactic to approach teams that seem to be better on paper. And I think this is very much um, the result of coach A.V. Kin, who is very smart and very talented in giving the team clear tactical instructions. So yeah, I think they can pull off um, another win against Rangers, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Rangers just came off the back of a quite a hard one. 1-0 win against HKFC, which I actually forgot about while I was talking about HKFC's form. Because they gave Rangers a good game, actually, in, in that one. And were perhaps unfortunate not to come away with a point or three. So, yeah, I, I would be edging towards Typo as well in this game. And the day after that, on Sunday, the early game at half two at the CSA One Sports Ground is RNF against... Kitchy, Kitchy, who've just been knocked off top spot. Eastern are ahead on goals scored. So looking to keep pace with Eastern at the top there. RNF, on the other hand, still looking like a team that plays nice football but doesn't have any way of closing out the results. This looks like another foregone conclusion this weekend. Yeah, I believe so. I think it will be very tough for RNF. Um, I'm not sure if they could make use of the international break right now. I think the main problem is still um, scoring up front. And against Kitschi, it will be very tough. Almost impossible, I believe. Um, I wouldn't expect him to pull off a surprise or a miracle on that particular day. Um, I think it will be interesting to see how Kitschi will approach it. If they take it 100% seriously or if they might start with players who had less playing time this season or even if they start with Alex Akande who seems to be on fire Alex is certainly on fire but his leg muscles might also be on fire after playing three games in a week he's you know he played 90 minutes in each of those games as well as a lone striker so he might <laughs> he might be I mean he, as we've talked about many times on the on the podcast he normally starts on the bench anyway for Kitschy so I'll be very shocked if he starts this game I mean it's worth mentioning I mean during the Taiwan game five of the starting 11 for Hong Kong were actually Kitschy players and that also applies to a certain extent in the other games too although I don't think it was as many as five so in terms of freshness RNF will actually have something of an advantage although that's probably the only situation in which they do have an advantage um, unless home advantage counts i think you've got a point there i wouldn't be surprised if players like sandro maybe even lo kuan yi helio were given a rest and maybe players like ling ai hoi or pao bosch might start at center back or any number of forwards could come in and um, replace sandro but we'll see you never know later that day in probably the most competitive looking fixture of the weekend actually at half past five at the Mongkok stadium um, south china We'll take on Southern in the battle of teams with South in their name. Could be a tight one. Southern look like they've had something of a resurgence after the aforementioned big wins against HKFC and a draw in the battle of the buses against Yuen Long. After a week, after after a slow start to the season, it looks like they've um, they've kind of got back into it. South China, on the other hand, have looked had looked quite good all season until um, the wheels came off a little bit and they sacked their coach. Um, how do you see this one going? Yeah, I think South China, for me personally, are still the favourites. 
I believe also that uh, the new coach, Dejan Antonic, had quite good effect on them so far. And yeah, um, I think they even signed a new player, right? Did, did we mention it the last time? I'm not sure. No, I don't think we did. I think we were all wrapped up in international football. Yeah, Dejan Antonic has brought in one of his compatriots um, very quickly um, and one of his former colleagues in Indonesia. Um, can you tell us some more about him? Yeah, his name is uh, Serdan Lopicic and as you said, he played in Indonesia for quite a few years and that's probably also where he met Dejan Antonic. He played for Persebaya Surabaya, for example, and Arema Kronos. And he had an injury, I believe, last year where he broke his elbow, so something more serious. So he didn't play much. And yeah, now he seems to be back on, on track. And yeah, it will be interesting to see if he can uh, help South China in this situation. He is actually an attacking midfielder. And I was surprised about this a little bit because I believe South China right now has quite good setup with it. You have Chen Yuki, you have Luis Carlos, who is, is a decent um, number 10. So it will be interesting to see how he fits in the team or what it means for players like Carlos or uh, Chen Yuki in the long run. Yeah, or indeed Ryan Griffiths, who's also one of the registered foreign players. Yeah, Antonich continuing the Balkan connection at South China, following in the footsteps of Matea Kesman, who you might remember played for them a few years ago. But yeah, you know, you've got Boyan Malasic in defence, you've got Nikola Komasic doing very well up front, and now we've got this new guy in attacking midfield, something of a, a spine of the team there. Will, will this guy start for South China on Sunday? I'm not sure yet if they have completed all the registration work, to be honest. So, yeah, let's let's wait and see. Okay, well, the game after that will be, for, for South China, will be Hong Kong Football Club at the Mongkok Stadium. So that might be a, that might be when he makes his debut. Yeah, I mean, it's like, as I say, it's a competitive-sounding game. Um, I think, as well as being an exciting derby between the teams itself and the name, you're back in South China, right? I think I will back South China for that one, yes. It's also about time that Commander scores again. And also it's one of the few games that I can watch on TV here in Australia. So that's exciting. Okay, to be honest, I would also back South China. You know, a new coach always brings a certain amount of a boost to a team. And it's worth mentioning, they weren't actually playing that bad under Rambo. It seemed it was more to do with underlying issues in the, in, in the, in the camp rather than actual performances on the pitch until that quite embarrassing capitulation to Rangers a few weeks ago. So, yeah, I would also be back in South China for this game. I, I can tell that you're losing your faith in, in Southern again. You know what happened the last time you did that? Last time I lost faith in Southern, what what happened? Well, they were beating like HKFC 7-0 or something. And you were wondering where all the goals come from. <laughs> ah, that is true. Yeah, they, in fairness, Southern do thrive when I doubt them. Um, so maybe they'll be listening to the podcast and being quite happy to have been written off by the, the, the oracle of Yao Mate, James Legg. Okay, so that's everything for the Premier League this weekend. Big weekend for a lot of teams. But in to divert backwards slightly in the direction of Hong Kong international news. Um, there's some word on next year's Asia Cup qualifiers. Yeah, that's correct. There are rumors out there. I think they were actually seeded by the Football Federation of Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan that the draw will be held on January 18th, 2017. It will decide in which group Hong Kong will play the Asian Cup qualifiers. There will be six groups of each four teams. And you have like 24 teams in the entire competition, including teams like North Korea, Chinese Taipei, Guam, Bhutan, Maldives. So we might see very familiar faces at the end of the day. And they already announced what will be the most likely match days for 
this year. There will be six match days in total, with five of them being played in 2017 and then the last match day in 2018. And this is to play in the Asia Cup in the UAE in 2019, right? And that's correct, yes. And is Hong Kong going to have a good chance in this? I think they do, because both the group winner and the runners-up will qualify for the Asian Cup this time. They very much followed the lead from the European Championship that they increased the number of participants. So I think Hong Kong has a good shot. Um, of course, it will depend on the draw. You can be unlucky if you know have to face opponents like uh, Jordan or Kuwait. But you can also be uh, lucky in in terms of you know getting opponents like Chinese Taipei or Guam or Maldives or Bhutan the next time around. So yeah, I think Hong Kong will have a fair chance, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Although I'm not too sure if we are developing in the right direction. Now that we're about to finish. You can go off and make your Kim Pangon out banners and make a little effigy of a guy with wavy black hair and glasses on. Yeah, hashtag Kim out, James in. Hashtag Kim out. Okay, well, I'll let you go and do that. And until next time, Toby, listeners, I shall see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.